invite you to turn with me to the book of Proverbs, chapter 30. Proverbs, chapter 30, we'll read the first nine verses of this passage. There are essentially two two types of people in the world. In, in one respect, there are those who know God and are with Him, those, and those who don't know Him and are without Him. And then perhaps in relation to that, those that are reliant upon Him and, and those who are not. This man, Agur, in Proverbs chapter 30, describes all of these situations and all of these circumstances. And I want to ask you today which one you will fall into, whether you are with God, without God, and whether or not you are reliant upon God. And so our title today is with, Without God, With God, and Reliant Upon God. Proverbs chapter 30, beginning in verse 1, the words of Agur, son of Jake, the oracle. The man declares, I am weary, O God. I am weary, O God, and worn out. Surely I am too stupid to be a man. I have not the understanding of a man. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One who has ascended to heaven and come down, who has gathered the wind in his fists, who has wrapped up the waters in a garment, who has established all the ends of the earth. What is his name? And what is his son's name? Surely you know. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Without God, with God, and reliant upon God. These things describe a man, a woman, a child. One of, one of these things describes every one of us. And Agur, looking to find God, looking to find the meaning of life, we might say, the purpose for life, he calls out to God and he begins and he says, I'm tired, I'm weary, I'm worn out. There is a weariness that settles over a man or a woman, and I use that term in the general neutral sense, which today is getting even more tricky, but every person, there is a weariness that settles over them in their search for truth apart from God and His Word. 
You will grow weary in looking for truth when you are not looking for it in God. You will grow tired and you will, a man strives to understand the world, why he is alive, why they have breath, what this life is all about. He searches in vain, Agar does, and searches to discover some reason for his life that goes beyond the empty and often pointless days that come and go one after the other in this world, as Solomon said that the sun rises and the sun sets and one day goes into the next and he says it's vanity of vanities all is vanity what's the point of it all this man who was blessed with wisdom beyond any other outside of jesus himself asked that question what is this all about and agar's asking that question what am i here for what am i supposed to be doing what is this life supposed to be really about and there's three categories There's three places that you can be in this search. You can be searching without God and His Word. You can be searching with God and His Word. And you can be searching reliant upon God. And we're going to know what that looks like based upon Agur's experience that he's going to share with us here in Proverbs chapter 30. I wonder today, where is your search leading you? Are you weary and tired? This search goes on endlessly until a man exhausts himself in the search. You will spend your life searching for the answer to this question. Why am I here? What is it really all about? Things that seemed to be certain and constant will be taken. And you'll be left to wonder, what is this all about? The search will go on endlessly until you just exhaust yourself. And you'll look for it in places like popularity. That seems to be how we start out, isn't it? As children, we want others to like us and to have friends. We're not worried about money yet. We couldn't really care less. How many times have you heard people say, we were dirt poor and as a child I had no idea. You were a lot more worried and concerned about what people thought of you and you wanted to have friends. And sometimes people continue their whole life long looking for the meaning and saying, well, the the meaning of life is that people like me, that I'm popular among the people that I know. Maybe it's money, right? It then graduates to that at some point. I don't care what other people think of me as long as I have all the money that I want. And you look for meaning and purpose and fulfillment in the riches of the world could be prestige, position. You could be searching for this meaning and this purpose of life and relationships with other people. And that's tangentially connected to the meaning of life. Don't misunderstand. But it is still not the purpose. You will exhaust yourself looking for meaning and purpose in these things. You will grow tired. And at least Agar acknowledges it, right? He cries out to God and he says, I'm tired. I'm worn out. I've looked for meaning everywhere else. I've climbed every mountain. I've searched every valley. I've I've walked across every place in the world that I could walk across. I've traveled down every river. I've talked to every wise man that I know. I've done everything in my life. And what is this all about? And he cries out to God and he says, I'm tired. And you might say to me today, some might, preacher, you're wrong. I don't even believe in God. 
So why would I need to know him? And I say to you, you're searching for God whether you realize it or not. You are looking for God whether you admit it and acknowledge it or not. It's just what you call God. You're searching for meaning. You are. You're looking for it. All men are conducting this search. Everyone is conducting this search for God. They simply don't always call it that. For some, their God is alcohol, and they search for their God, little g, in an empty bottle night after night. But it's a search for God. You're just not calling it that. You're just not thinking about it right. The enemy has clouded your mind to make you think that you can find meaning and purpose and hope in these things. For some, their God, little g, is money. And they they search for their God in the accumulation of wealth. And they end up tired and worn out. Because it still doesn't give them any rest. Is there, is it really any strength? It shouldn't be strange to us that Jesus said, come to me. And what did he say? I'll give you. I'll give you rest. You will come to me. And when you come to me, then you will rest. Until then, you will continue on that rat wheel going around and around and around, trying to find the meaning and the purpose that you will even claim at times you're not looking for, but you really are. And so am I. And so is everyone. For some, their God, little g, is fame, position, power. They search for their God, again, little g, in the approval of man. And these searches are exhaustive searches. Some men will leave no stone unturned in this search. Day after day and night after night, their search goes on and on and on. But the search for God that does not end with God is a search that ends in bone weariness and exhaustion every time. It doesn't end in rest and peace. It ends in brokenness. And exhaustion. I don't want that for you. I don't want that for you. God doesn't want that for you. He wants you to come to Him. He's trying to give you rest. He's telling you, get off of the wheel. Stop searching exhaustively at these other things. Have they satisfied your soul yet? Why would you continue to climb that mountain and search that valley and go far and wide and look for people who you think will give you the answers that only I can give you, God is saying. You're going to end up exhausted. You're going to end up wrung out, bitter and sorrowful, not only for time, but for eternity. If one day soon you don't turn to Him if you've been searching for God in other things, if you've been searching for God in other things, are you tired yet? Are you tired? Are you worn out? God will let you spend yourself 
In fact, in some ways, he might even, we might even say that he demands that we do, that we come to him broken and weary and exhausted with the search to find our purpose and the purpose of life in anything but him. He wants you to get to that place. He doesn't want you to take forever, but he wants you to get there. And sometimes we, we have to walk that road of exhaustion and then just fall on our faces before God and say, God, I'm tired. I am weary. I am worn out. I have no more strength. I've tried everything I know and I can't find what I'm looking for here. I've searched high and low and I can't find it. God will let you spend yourself. And in fact, as I said, sometimes we must spend ourselves. Some men, though, and women, they're stubborn as a mule. They will fight with the last ounce of their strength to find the God, little g, that they hope exists instead of submitting to the God who does exist. Stop searching for gods that don't exist. Stop searching for meaning and hope and contentment and peace and purpose in gods that aren't real, that are vanishing, and come and go as quickly as they can. Promised us, whispered sweet promises in our ear, if you just get this, then life will be good and life will be happy, and then they vanish the minute that you supposedly find what they were going to give you. If you've been searching for purpose and meaning apart from God, my prayer for you is that you would become completely and entirely spent. That you would come to the end of your rope, that you would say with agar, I am weary, O oh God. And who's he talking to? He's talking to God. And that's where it starts. God, I'm tired. I am weary with all of these other things that are not satisfying when you do get here to that point of weariness, a weariness such as you've never felt before, perhaps then, then you will turn to God and search for Him and end your fruitless and vain searches elsewhere. So man without God, first of all, is weary. Boy, we see a world. They're, they're weary, aren't, aren't we? Our nation is tired. Our people, the, the, the world is just worn out. People are just tired. And they're tired because they're endlessly searching for something they will never find. My prayer for you is that you'll get so tired that you are with agar and you will admit it. God, I'm tired. And man without God is not only tired, he's ignorant. According to Agar. Isn't that what he says in verse 2? Surely I am too stupid to be a man. And by the way, I know that there's some, some tricky translation, particularly in verse 1, if you're reading the King James and NASB and ASV and others, it's completely different. We don't want to get locked up there, but clearly in verse 2, Agar is simply saying, I am too stupid to be a man. I am, I am without knowledge. And the sense in these words that Agurs is using, when you dive into the Hebrew a little bit, he's basically simply saying, I must be more ignorant than anyone else. I just must be stupid. Anybody ever felt like that? I just must not get it. God, I'm tired and I don't get it. 
Perhaps he looked at all the people around him and didn't see the same weariness that he felt. Maybe he looked at everybody that he interacted with in the world and he says, they seem to be fine. And I'm exhausted. Perhaps he looked around and saw this and he observed his friends, his neighbors, and even the stranger on the street. And he did not see people who seemed tired and ignorant, but they seemed energetic and certain. They seemed on the surface to be content with the things of this life and seemed to find meaning and purpose in it. But for Agar, he simply says, I don't get it. I must be the stupid one. Because I'm tired, God. I'm tired of digging in this world and trying to find meaning and coming up with nothing but dirt. I'm tired with trying to find happiness with money and finding out that you can't buy it with money. I'm tired of looking for happiness in human relationships outside of you because there's no ultimate, ongoing, constant, continual, eternal happiness to be found there. But he looks out in the world, Agar does, and he says, I don't get it. I must be the stupid one. So, Agar suggests here that, again, maybe he was the one with the problem. And that there really wasn't a problem except for his own failures. Because as he looked at people around him, he, se- he seems to indicate here, I guess maybe this is just me. You ever felt like that? Everybody else seems to be doing just fine. Everybody else seems to be going about their life and they seem to have purpose. They go to bed at night happy and content and they wake up in the morning and they jump out of bed and they hit their shower and they can't wait to go about their purpose. I must be the stupid one. And if he would just try and be like all of those people around him, then maybe he wouldn't be so weary, so confused and so at a loss for purpose and meaning in his life. But but you know what I think? I think there is a very clear sense of sarcasm in Agar's words here. He's a smart man. He knows better. He's almost being sarcastic, I think, is what he's doing. Well, I guess I'm the stupid one. He knows that he isn't. I think he knew better. I think he's being sarcastic with his words. I think he is saying, fine, all of you out there telling me that I should just get over this, I guess I'm the one with the problem, and all of you other people are doing just fine. Fine, I guess that's the truth. And there's almost an is it question mark. I guess you're just fine, aren't you? And I'm the only one who isn't. Looking around, Agar saw smiling people everywhere. Laughing, going about their lives, But the outward face that people put on is often just a mask. A mask that hides what is really going on inside. And Agar, I think, knows my weariness is felt by everybody who doesn't know God. Yes, they're wearing a mask. And yes, the mask has a smile. But the only smile that a mask can wear is a frozen smile. It's just there. A mask smiles at a child playing, and a mask smiles at a child dying. A mask smiles in the darkest moments of life. There is something creepy about a smiling mask. 
isn't there? Hollow eyes. I think this is how Agar saw many around him. His own heart, his own mind, his emotions. He was bone weary. He is uncertain of most everything in life. And all the while, he sees people around him frolicking and playing without an apparent care in the world. And he says, I guess I must be the one who doesn't get it. If I may speak to anyone who might be wearing a mask here today, it's time to take it off. It's time to take the mask off. Deep within you, you know that your smile is only the smile that a mask wears. It's not yours. It's not your smile. You do not feel the smile. You simply wear it. You do not really hold it. This frozen smile of the mask holds you. You know that you are just as tired and confused as Agar was. The only real difference between you and him is he'd taken his mask off and was crying out to God, I'm tired, I'm weary. You see, Agar's brokenness, his confusion, his doubt, and his fear, you see it right in front of you. He's admitting it. Yours remains hidden behind your mask. Of course, you know about the brokenness, don't you? You know about your confusion, your doubt, and your fear because the mask only has the power to work in one direction. It only projects outwardly. It does not work in the reverse. It does not go inside of you. A mask projects an image outwardly. It cannot affect you inwardly. You are behind the mask, and the mask can't hide things from you. Not really, not in your moments of quiet contemplation when you too might want to say, God, I'm tired. The mask has worn me for too long. I want to take it off. And maybe sometimes as you're getting ready in the morning and you're wearing the mask, you're going about your life, you're putting on the smile, you're doing the thing you're supposed to do. But every now and again, as you get ready in the morning, you lock eyes with that person in the mirror. And looking down into your own soul, you know of your bone weariness an absence of God in your life. Agar admitted it, and I beg you to admit it today. You will remain broken. You will remain tired. You will remain confused and lost without Him. But again, you are behind the mask. You can't hide things from you. And I I want to tell you as well, and you know this already, God is also behind the mask, and He knows all about it too. He knows. Listen, If there weren't seven or more now billion people on the planet, even though there are, he he looks at you. He knows the tears that you shed behind the mask. He knows them. He knows the anger that you hide behind the mask. He knows the doubt that you hide behind the mask. He knows the confusion 
that you hide behind the mask. He knows the emptiness that you hide behind the mask. He knows how weary you are. So Agar here, in a moment of honest reflection, and using sarcasm as his weapon of choice, admits his own ignorance and the ignorance of all men. That's the first two things of being apart from God. There's weariness. There is ignorance. Being without God and His Word leads you to those two things, and ultimately, of course, it leads you to being separated from God. I have not learned wisdom, Agar says, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One, of course, speaking of God. I don't know Him. I don't know him. The greatest degree of Agar's ignorance is his ignorance of God. There were no doubt many things that Agar, this man, who, by the way, we don't know who it was, never mentioned again in the scripture. He comes on the scene here, and in a sense, he is the every man and the every woman. This is their experience. This is the experience of humanity. And he comes here. And his ignorance, the most deep, needful part of the most devastating, impactful part of his ignorance was his ignorance of God. Many things, no doubt, that he didn't know in life, that he didn't understand, but it was his ignorance of God that was the worst and was the fulcrum, was the focal point of all of the other ignorances that existed in his mind and his heart. But I want you to notice something here that's very important. Don't ever miss a phrase, a word, a syllable in the word of God. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. And then he goes on, and we're going to talk about verse uh, 4 a little bit more in a moment. But here at the end of verse 4, what does he say? What is his name? Who is he? Who is he? Note very carefully here that Agar's ignorance was not in the ignorance of the existence of God. Agar was not confused in the fact that there was a God. His confusion was in his ignorance was in the person of God. Who God is. Agar could look around him and know that there must be a God, a creator, a beginner of all things. And he asked, four quick rhetorical questions to prove it. We won't take much time with them. But he asks, who has ascended to heaven and come down? This is basically a question asking, who has gone into heaven and come back to the earth and told us all what life is about? Well, we know the answer, of course. His name is Jesus Christ. He's come down and returned, and he told us what life was all about. But Agar's asking the question, Who has done this? Surely there must be some reason, some point of our existence. Surely we are able, if we are able to contemplate this question, and I want you to think about this for a minute, if we as human beings created in the image and the likeness of God, as Genesis tells us in chapter 2, if indeed we can even contemplate the question, what is life about? Don't you think we should know the answer? Don't you think we ought to look and and ask God, then what is the answer? If I can ask it, that tells me something. And you know one of the most dangerous signs that a person is so far distant from God? 
is when they stop asking the question and just give up. There is no meaning. There is no purpose. I'm just alive for a little while and then this clay goes back to the dirt. You know in your heart because you can contemplate in your heart these great questions that there must be an answer to it. He goes on asking two, three more rhetorical, rhetorical questions. Who has gathered the wind in his fists? I love that. Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? As Agar looks around at the physical world, he simply asks, who's in charge? Who's in control? Who does the earth itself obey? Who created it and told it to spin and then set it in perpetual motion around the sun? Who commands the wind? Who told the sea to stop where it stops and to go no further? Who is running this vast planet of ours? Who keeps it? Who sustains it? That's what he's asking. Who's doing all of this? Someone must be. The answer, of course, to these rhetorical questions is God. Agar knew the answer to these questions, but then at the end of verse 4 again, he comes to the real question, what is his name? Who is he? Agar does not ask, what is he? He asks, who is he? What is his name? Agar already knew something of the answer to the question, what is he? Well, he's the creator. He's the sustainer. He's the Almighty. He is God, and yet he did not know him. His real question and the focus of his weariness and his ignorance was this. I don't know God. And so long as I don't know him, I will continue in this weariness and this despair and this lostness. I will search high and low, and if I do not find him, I will remain weary and tired. It was this ignorance of who God is that forced Agar to wear a mask before taking it off and wrestling with the real question of life, who is God? It is the same ignorance, ignorance that forces men and women the world over to wear a mask today. They are ignorant of God, and because they are ignorant of him, they are without him, and the only way to portray any kind of all is well is to wear a mask rather than it to be real. You know, there's just something unique about a child of God who knows God that in the midst of this life there is a settledness in the midst of the storm, and it's real. It's not made up. It may be ugly. It's going to include tears. It's going to include a lot of things that the world doesn't want to, to deal with, but it's just real. It's not a mask. Man, without God, this is them. Verses 1 through 4. Verses 5 and 6 tell us what man is with God, though. He is wise. He's wise. Every word of God, verse 5, proves true. It is a sad place that man occupies apart from God. They're unwilling and unable to answer the question, who is God? 
that Agar in the early verses was wrestling with. But God has written to us. God has told us who He is. Exodus 3.14 I am who I am. Jehovah, I am the one that exists. I have existed forever. I do exist and I will exist forever. And that's why, by the way, that name is so specific to God. Because He's the only one that can be named like that. No one and nothing else can say, I am that I am. Nothing. You can say, I am who I am, the same reason that Paul did, because God. I am here because of Him. The mountain, as majestic as it is, can only say if it could speak, I'm here because of God. This whole creation can only say, I am because of God. God says, I am. In Revelation twenty-two thirteen, all the way at the end of this Bible that we have, Jesus, God the Son, says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. In these verses, God in essence is saying, in these verses, listen, God is saying, I'm the one you're looking for. I'm the one you're looking for. I'm the one you haven't found and why you're so weary and why you're so tired because you haven't found me yet. I am the one you're looking for. I am the answer to all of your questions. I am the reason that you are alive. And with these answers, our ignorance and our weariness is immediately wiped away. Do you remember in school when you struggled with a concept Maybe it was a new math equation. At first, you just didn't get it. You didn't understand. The teacher could write the equation on the board, and do the problem, and call on the person in the class that drove everybody nuts, walked right up there, did the whole thing, got the right answer, and you're like, I've got no idea what you're doing up there. I don't get it. That is a little bit like Suddenly, having all your answers in God, because there's a point after homework and study, all of a sudden, something clicks and you go, oh, I get it. Seconds before, you were staring at what must have been Greek. Might as well have been. Didn't get it. And you were tired, weren't you, of not getting it. I know I was in plenty of math classes. I didn't get it. I didn't like it. I I didn't understand it. And yet, there was a point at times, right? It's like, oh, I get it now. That's a little what it's like to go from being bone weary in this world, looking for meaning and hope and purpose and other things, and then all of a sudden looking to God and Him wiping away all that confusion and that fear and that weariness with what? Him. Him. Not riches. Not a religious way of life. Well, you want to put shackles on your life and handcuffs? Live a really good religious life without God in your heart. That'll do it. You know there is more 
in life, when God comes, do you know there's more you don't fully understand? Perhaps you know there are things that hurt and cause tears to come to your eyes, but you get it. You know God. This is man with God. This is man who knows God's word. You get it. And knowing him is enough to tame the lions of fear and doubt that might continually assail you in your life. You become a wise person because you know the one who invented wisdom. You, you know the source. With God, you are wise and you are safe. He is a shield to those who trust in him. The knowledge of God found in the word of God here is a shield. And and boy, we need a shield today. You do. You and I need a shield in the world in which we live. God's word. Yes, God's word, which when rightly used, brings you to God, God's word will protect you from the skepticism of our age. We need a shield against the skepticism that has washed over this country like a tidal wave. And this word is the shield that will protect you from it. You want to know why you doubt God's word so much in the face of today's skepticism? You want to know why you're so shaky? When it comes to God's word put next against the skepticism of our day, it's because you don't know it as you should. It's been the case every time in my life. The further I dig into this well of God's word, the less fear and doubt of it I have. I think I wrote in the Lost Anchor, you don't have to worry about uncovering some stone in studying this word that places doubt and fear in your heart and questions your faith. You will find a rich treasure again and again of things to go, oh, God already knew that and he told us. I just marvel at scientists, right? They just, hey, the earth is round. We've discovered it. And it's like, yeah, Job said that with Abraham. Been saying it all along. God has set his sphere. And he even said this. He set it on nothing. God knew it all along. God knows and he will tell you things in his word. Now note carefully though that it is only a shield for those who trust and take refuge in God himself. Listen, you can't take refuge in the Bible. I don't think anybody that knows me, I don't think I have to defend very, very strongly my love of the word of God. I don't say that to prompt me up because I'm telling you this. If my comfort and my shield is just the Bible, then I'm not listening to the Bible because the Bible tells me this. That God is a shield to those who take refuge in him. It even says that God's word is a shield to those who take refuge in him. You cannot take refuge in the Bible. You must take refuge in the God of the Bible. Do not make an idol out of this word. But hide it in your heart because it is God's word. Never misuse it. What a wonderful gift that God has given to us in these 66 books that he inspired. 
What a wonderful protection he has given for us. What a wonderful shield he has provided for us. What a wonderful thoughts and deep contemplation of him and ourselves in this world and this life is revealed in these words. What a wonderful thing he has given us, but it is God himself that is the shield and the refuge. Jeremiah 2011, but the Lord is with me as a dread warrior. This is, this is what I ask of God today in my life. That I could say with Jeremiah, the Lord is with me as a dread warrior. He is like that man who walk, people look and you kind of turn around the corner against your enemy and your enemy looks at you and begins to laugh. Oh man, we got this. It's just Kent. This is going to be easy. But then, as I walk around the corner, and God walks around the corner too, all of a sudden the enemy goes, wait a minute. My, wrestle, my fight is not with Kent. I could take him in a moment. I've done it countless times. But God is with him. And he is a dread warrior. He is the one that when the enemy sees him, their hearts turn to fear and turn into a puddle. He is with me as a dread warrior. Jeremiah says, therefore, my persecutors will stumble. They will not overcome me. They will be greatly shamed for they will not succeed. Their eternal dishonor will never be forgotten. Boy, God, make that, make that true in my life. That you are with me in that way. And finally, with God, we are constrained. And I won't take much more of your time here today. We'll fly through the rest of it. We are constrained. Those who are with God, we are constrained by His Word. Verse 6, do not add to His words. And He gives you a very practical reason. Unless if you do, you're going to be found a liar. And I will tell you this, if you add to God's Word, you will be. You'll be found a liar. It's one of the abiding fears that any minister of God who's worth his salt has. God, don't let me take your word where it does not go. We are not at liberty to misuse this word that God has given us. We are not at liberty to make it say what we want it to say. Do not put words in God's mouth. Do not make promises that He has not made. Do not establish your faith on promises that God has not given. Do not take this Word and make it something you want it to be. All the way back in Deuteronomy, God warned His people of this. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. And then you again, turn all the way to the last chapter of this, of this Bible. In Revelation 22, 18 and 19, the word of God in the flesh, Jesus himself says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophets of this book, if anyone adds to them, if you add to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of God of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in the book. One of the greatest struggles in the Christian life is to ensure that we are taking God at his word and not at our own. 
and you'll find a preacher somewhere to tell you what you want this book to say. You will. They line their pockets with your money. They, they, they build their kingdoms on the back of unconverted, belief, of un- unconverted people. Tell the world that God just loves them, doesn't care anything about who, what they've done. He's just going to let us all into heaven. That's not what the Bible says at all. God, people say God just loves you, doesn't care what your lifestyle is. He doesn't care anything about that. He just loves you so much. He sent his son to the world to bleed and die for you. And surely if he did that, we're all going to heaven. They'll use this very book and tell you that. It's not what the Bible says. The one who talked most about hell, as we've said multiple times, is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And of course he would. Of course he would. He He left heaven to come here to save us from it. Don't go beyond what this word says. That is a person who is with God. And and finally, and we will again, like I said, just breeze through this. It says enough on the surface that I will leave it with you to continue to contemplate verses 7 through 9. A man reliant upon God. A person who is reliant upon God. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. And in the Hebrew, that's a way of saying as long as I live. Don't deny them to me. For my life, as long as I live, remove far from me falsehood and lying. And some think that that's the first thing he's asking, and I don't believe that it is. I think the two things he asks is said later. He says in verse 8, remove far from me falsehood and lying. Don't let me live in the false so that I then begin to speak that which is a lie. Give me, this is the two things I think he's asking. Don't give me poverty. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. He says, remove from me falsehood and lying. And then he says, take, don't give me riches or poverty. Remove from me the falsehood of riches. Don't make me rich in this world, God, please. Because if, if, if that happens, I fear, God, that I'm going to turn from you. I'm going to remove my dependence on you. I'm going to turn away from you and I'm going to say, who is the Lord? And doesn't that turn us right back around to the beginning? I'm going to live a life of exhaustion because I'm going to think that these riches are what satisfy. But I'm going to wake up one day and I'm going to remember or I'm going to learn for the first time that I have been terribly mistaken. So don't let me have it. Don't give me this world. But he says as well, but don't give me poverty. Sometimes people can think that their poverty is a demonstration of their spiritual condition. That's not true. Job was a rich man. Abraham was a rich man. David was a rich man. Solomon was a rich man. Many people were. But they weren't looking for their riches when they were thinking correctly in this world. So don't give me riches. Don't give me poverty. The falsehood of poverty and the lying or the deceitfulness of poverty. Or excuse me, the falsehood of riches and the deceitfulness of poverty. 
You know what poverty will tell you? What it will whisper to you? God's not there for you. That's what you'll listen to. That's what the enemy will say. When you think you don't have what you need, and isn't that what Agar asks? God, just give me the food that's needful. He doesn't say, God, give me what I want. He says, God, give me what I need. And sometimes what we need is not what we would choose. Keep me from the the things of this world that would allow me to live in falsehood and keep me from a poverty that would tempt me and move me to steal and take my life in my own hands and stop relying on you. Just give me what I need and help me to take it. So where are you today as I close? With Agar. You're crying out to God, I'm I'm tired, I'm weary. I kind of hope so. Because if you turn to him broken and tired and weary and say, I can't do anymore, and you turn to him, he'll take the weariness, he'll take the burden, he'll replace it with peace and energy and joy and a lightheartedness that you don't know anything about. Are you walking with God in his word? Are you taking him for what he has said? You're taking only the promises he's given, which are plenty and enough, but you're not taking it beyond what he has said. And then are you relying upon him to give you what you need in this life? Plenty for us to contemplate with Agar, and we could spend our days, I pray that at least part of this week we do, walk with Agar, Contemplate what he has said. But if God is dealing with you now, in this moment, come to him. Lost or saved alike, if there's something God is dealing with you about, and he prompts you to do something about it here, to say, to testify, to pray, to ask for requ- uh, pr- uh, our, your brothers and sisters to pray to this end, that you would follow God for where he's leading and guiding you now. And understand that searching anywhere else is just going to lead to weariness, and I'm tired of that. If he's dealing with you now, then now is the time to respond and to believe and to obey. Without anything further, we just want to leave the Spirit of God to work as, again, only he can with his word. Let's have a song.